Good morning, y'all. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, we made it to the next section. If you want notes for the next section, I got a stack in the back back there. We made it all the way through. Through section one. Yeah, so we moving on to the next section. Starting section two. What Proverbs chapter 10. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, just open up your word to us. Give us understanding, God. Help us to truly benefit and to see you, God, and allow you to make us into what you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, moving into section two. Before we go, anybody got any remaining questions or any concerns about the previous, the first nine chapters that made up section one? Anything? All right, so we think we're good. Now, we're breaking into this next section, section two. And we got this section broken up into five parts. So in this next section, section two, there's five parts to it. And with the first from chapter 10 through chapter 22, verse 16, is the first part that we're going to focus on now. And this is what we refer to as the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, before we get into this little piece, just as a way of reminder, this is going to come into play going forward. The Bible and the way it's constructed and the way that we get most benefit from it. Well, go, go, just go right quick. We'll take a short one to Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one. As a reminder, we're probably going to be going back and forth to just this little piece as we go throughout. Just as a reminder of how it is we're supposed to read the Bible to get the most benefit from it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart of thy, out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. So this is God's commission to Joshua. And he gives him a couple of principles for having good success, for benefiting on the journey that God was sending him on. And he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's, that's a part of memorizing it. You take hold of it and you make it a part of you. And he says, and thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And it's this idea of repetition. That's the Hebrew form for meditate is not just to sit and clear your mind, but it's to repeat something over and over again. Another, another translation of it would be to mutter it, just to mumble it to yourself over and over again. And this is how we should read the scriptures, and this is how we get the most benefit from it, that we take chunks of it and we repeat it. And this is the way that the Bible was written for us to, to understand, to meditate on it. And that's why as we go through this journey, you see a lot of parts that seem confusing to you, like they leave out information. Like you read and it just seems to stop a story or just cut it off abruptly. And it does that to leave room for you to meditate and you to think about it and you to wrestle over it and you to twist it and turn it upside down to allow God to speak and it increase the meaning to you. And this is the way that we get the most benefit out of reading the scriptures. We need to meditate on it and allow it to sit and just to think about it, flip it over, look at it from all different angles. And as we go through this next section of Proverbs, this form of reading is going to be key. Because that's the way you get the most benefit out of this piece. As we go into this next section. So flip back to Proverbs chapter 10. Because this is the piece of the book that most people are most familiar to with when they think about Proverbs. Uh, this is the piece with all the little short pithy sayings, the quick witty sentences that most people equate with Proverbs. But this is just only a section of it. And as we go through this, it's a question for y'all to ponder. Get a little, little dialogue from you a little bit. 
How many of you think the Bible is unique? You just raise your hand. If you think the Bible is unique. All right. That's just about everybody. Now, the trick question to that is what do you mean when you say that? What do you mean when you say the Bible is unique? Anybody? All right. Give me, give me something. Expound on it a little bit. Okay, what you got? Okay. So you got unique in its theme. You say it's unique in its power. What you got? Okay. Yeah, and so we got the theme, the power, and you basically saying in its perspective, in the way that it opens up our minds to different parts of life. And the reason I ask this question, because this is something that shakes a lot of people in conversation. And it's something we're going to come back through going through this next section of Proverbs. Because we're going to run into something that, that messes a lot of people's minds up and messes their faith up. So I'm going to prime you for it as we go into it. When we say that the Bible is unique, a lot of people have the idea that there is no other book written like it. That's not true. There are the other books that has a similar structure to what we refer to in the Bible because the Bible is a collection of various books that have been collected together under the inspiration of God. In this book of Proverbs is a type of literature that the ancients referred to as wisdom literature or as instructive literature <clears throat> as the teaching of sages all these, these different things. So if you go back and if we live in life and what we bound to do especially in this day and this age and you run to the deep dudes who who want to tell you that the whole Bible is just a whole bunch of made up stuff just like everything is. One thing they, that they can point to or they try to point to is there's an Egyptian. Well, there's a couple Egyptians. They only know one. But there's a couple of writings that we have referred to that we have found that's in structure is similar to this part of Proverbs. Just this part right here. In the way that it teaches is very similar. One particular one that we're going to talk about when we get to the next part of this section, the sayings of the wise, is a book called The Instructions of Emenope. It's an Egyptian book. And there's parts in it that says the exact things, same things that are said in this part of the book of Proverbs. They're, they're, they're parallel statements. They talk about some of the same things and instructed the same way. So what a lot of people like to do is they say, well, Solomon, if Solomon wrote it, he just copied from these Egyptians because the Egyptians are the true people of God and they just stole everything. And what happens in the minds of a lot of people when you see similarities between other things in the Bible and people explain it to you and you meet it out on the street, it shakes people and they don't know how to respond. But we need to understand that the Bible is books of literature. These are different types of literature books in the and wisdom literature is a type of book. There are other books written in this style. But the thing that separates the, the Proverbs as we have them is the content and the divine foreknowledge about life and afterlife. That's why I make that such a big deal. Because a lot of people want to tell you Proverbs is just about it's just little short little sayings that give you practical advice and ain't no deep theology in it. Proverbs has a big thing that extends its look beyond this life. And that's what makes it a whole lot different from those other things when it comes to these other books. And the idea that just because something is similar means something is copied is false. Now, y'all understanding what I'm saying? When people, it, it, it almost looks just like it. Just because something is similar doesn't mean it is copied. That's a false idea. And don't let nobody take your mind with that. That just because it's similar does not mean it's copied. This is a style of literature and it's a, it's a structure and a format. Like I said, nowadays we have styles and we have structures. We got the fantasy and the sci-fi stuff and we got these little new tween books, all these diary books that they're selling to our teenagers and, and the young tween. The structure and the form of them are, are similar, but that don't mean they copy from each other. It's just a style of writing. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So you meet some of them deep dudes, them pro-black dudes that tell you that 
The Bible is false. And they tell you the one proof is, see, the Bible can say the same thing as this other book. Ain't too many advices you can give when you tell somebody they need to whoop their children. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> I mean, they figure something out. Yeah, hey, you supposed to whoop your children. Hey, man, Lee. Like Solomon couldn't have figured that out. Like, <laughs> wow, man. I ain't know that. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. So don't allow yourself to be shaken and think that the uniqueness of the Bible is in its structure. The uniqueness is in the author and who have written it. And like you referred to the power and the true message of it. And the fact that we can have these 66 books that string together with one thing, with one line, people, 40 different authors who do not know each other, but can tell the same story. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So if we get in, we're going to highlight when we get to those portions, just so you can be familiar with it. So if you run into it on the street, it won't be new. You already met it at church first. Then you can tell them, you know, and put them on game. All right, let me get to it. Proverbs chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. Now this first little section is built off contrast. This first part of this of this section is built off contrast. So we're going to have a whole lot of this, but this. This, but this. So he's building, he's teaching off contrast. And this is a continuation of the instruction of the son. So where we left off, through the discourses, the son had a decision to make. Is he going to marry the, the wise woman? Or is he going to marry the foolish woman? Is he going to commit himself to wisdom or is he going to commit himself to folly? And so now we at the port where these things are going to be lived out. And he's teaching through contrast. The life of, of devotion to wisdom contrasted with the life of devotion to foolishness. So we're going to learn through putting them against each other. This one is this way, but if you do this one, it's this way. And there's going to be a lot of these saying, and we're going to try to get them. The way we got them grouped, I got them grouped in, in clusters. So we take the first cluster, which is verse 1, down through verse 5. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, that's the title. This is the first proverb. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is heaviness of his mother. So a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. And this is the opening of this cluster. So we got the opposition. We got a wise son versus the foolish son. And they're in contrast with each other. And the contrast that he's making is the results of raising a wise son versus the results of making a, raising a foolish son. So the results is a wise son produces joy in his father. So if you live a wise life, you're going to produce joy in your father. And this is the opening thing coming off the whole conversation between the parents teaching their son. So now the son is about to go out in life and he's learning how to live. And the first thing he get run into is that if you want to make your parents glad, be a wise son. But if you want to produce heaviness or pain or grief into your mother, be a foolish son. So foolishness produces grief. Why wisdom produces joy. And this is the basis of what we're going to build on in this cluster. In verse 2 said, treasureness of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness deliver it from death. So treasures of wickedness. So, the, so the, the, the great things that the wicked people have, their wealth, it says it's profit nothing, but righteousness deliver it from death. So there's a contrast between wickedness and righteousness. But when it talks about the treasures of the wicked, it contrasting against the righteousness delivering from death. So basically what it's saying is that the treasures of the wicked, when it talks about profit, nothing, it's not talking about it ain't worth nothing in this life. But ultimately, the treasures of the wicked cannot deliver you in the day of death. So there's no ultimate profit in riches. And this is coming off the back of the talk of the wise son. And if you just think about it, most people think that the way that I can bring pleasure to my parents is if I go off and be a success. I make a whole lot of money, get a great job, and do all these worldly things that my parents are going to be proud of me. But there's an underlining thing where parents desire for their children to be good people. And that's a real deal. 
And he's giving this deal, building off the contrast of the wise and the foolish son, because the treasures of wickedness ultimately, when it's all said and done, brings no benefit to you. But the only thing that has the power to deliver you from death is righteousness. So if you want to choose between treasures versus righteousness, righteousness has an ultimate benefit that the treasures of wickedness cannot profit in. Y'all, y'all, y'all see what I'm saying? Verse three said, the Lord would not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casted away the substance of the wicked. Now he brings God into this whole picture. So the Lord will not suffer. That's allow. So God won't allow the soul of the righteous to famish or that is to go without, to starve, to not be fulfilled. So the soul of the righteous will not starve. It will not be go unfulfilled. But he casted the way he cast down. He, he, he put to the size the substance of the wicked. Now that word, the substance of the wicked is a catchy one because it really doesn't mean substance. It actually means the wicked desires are the evil desires of the wicked. When it talks about the substance of the wicked, other places is translated to wickedness and other places translated to the evil longings or the naughtiness. So what the King James translators tried to do is help us out a little bit. Because it talks about famine with the right, with the, with the righteous. So they had to make a way to make this make sense because to say that he, but he casted away the wickedness of the wickedness, the wickedness of the wicked don't seem to contrast. But the contrast is there's a longing that has that, that is in the righteous that God would not allow to go dissatisfied. God will make bring forth all the desires of the, of the righteous. He will fulfill all of them, but all the longings of the wicked, all the evil desires that they have, all the, the, the evil pursuits that they have, God going to cast them down. They're going to ultimately come to not. God will not allow the wicked to fulfill all their plans and all their heart's desires. And that's the contrast that he's making here. So there's some there's going to be some upbringing of the wicked. There's going to be some rising of their wickedness, but God going to knock it down. But there's a longing in the heart of the of the righteous. God gonna fulfill it. God won't allow it to go unmet. The desires of the wicked, he gonna get rid of them. But the longing of the righteous, God's gonna allow you to be satisfied. There's not gonna be an unmet desire you have in your heart if you're pursuing in righteousness. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And that's the contrast. So we build our life in righteousness. God will satisfy us. But if we pursue wickedness, God's going to frustrate our plans. Verse four, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent make it rich. So the one that deals with a slack hand, a slack hand is a lazy hand, but it's a laziness that's different from laziness how we know. Because giving trying to make sure you understand. Have you met somebody who just because they don't want to do something is willing to do the wrong thing? Like, I don't want to do it anyway. So I'm just going to do the wrong thing just because I just don't really want to do what's done. It's, it's like a, a, a willingness to, to steal, to cut corners. A willingness to, to be deceptive just for the sake of making my job easier. You, you you get what I'm talking about. So it's the idea like, boss told us to do this, 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 and this. I know she only going to check the first couple of things. So I'm going to do the, the first couple and I'm going to lie and say I did everything else and sign off on my report and send it in. That's the idea that he's talking about here when he means by dealing with a slack hand. It's a slick hand is the way we would say it. It's the willingness to cut corners, not do things all the way in a deceptive manner that you're willing to do just to get over on folks, just to not have to do everything you post like, you know, you know, folks, you ain't got to do all that. All you got to do is, <laughs> and that's the type of slack hand that he's talking about here. And he said, he becoming poor that dealeth with a slack hand. So if you always cutting corners, if you're willing to be deceptive, just to get over, just to complete a task, it's going to end in your ruin. Eventually, you're going to lose in the deal. 
The more lack you are in your dealings, the more lax you are with it, the more deceptive you are in the way that you work and the way that you operate, eventually you're going to lose. And we all know them people we get upset about. Like, man, they don't never have to do. And man, every time they come to work, they always calling out and this and that. And I know they lying. Then we work with them for two years. And we, y'all remember, um, that girl, she, man, she was crazy. She ain't never want. <laughs> but in the midst of it, we mad at them. Because they get to take off when we want to take off. They get to call out when we want to do it. Because we don't see the end result of what's taking place. And some of them, when they get hit with that leave without paying all that other stuff. But we upset and we frustrated because we think they're getting over. And the idea that the proverb is teaching here, those who deal with a slack hand, eventually ruin is going to come to them. Eventually devastation is going to come to them. Eventually they're going to lose the things that they think they're gaining. Like I said, Bernie Madoff ended up getting caught. Did he make millions? Yes. So many millions, you don't even know exactly how many he made. He was dealing with a slack hand. But did he get caught? Yes. All the drug dealers in the gangster movie, what happened to them? They die or go to jail at the end of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened to all of them. Get gunned down, get betrayed, something happens to him at the end, always. I ain't even saw one yet where he rides off into the sunset like cowboy move. <laughs> well, that's the picture that he's painting here. So when we do our dealings, we upright in it. And he says, he that is diligent, make it rich. So if you work hard, and if you're willing to do everything that needs to be done, so that's what brings prosperity. Like the example could be the great apostle here. He go through all this detail, explain to y'all why he won't just put lyrics on the screen. Now, how many people gonna check behind him to see if he put lyrics on the screen and did he pay for it? Absolutely nobody. Absolutely nobody. And I guarantee you, if you go to most churches, they won't even be able to explain to you that that is a rule. <laughs> I guarantee you, they will not be able to tell you that that is a rule. We're not even going to buy these things. We just going to got sound men and, and art and graphics people. They're going to make our own backgrounds and we're going to put them up there with our logo on. <laughs> people going to think we've made these songs. <laughs> but that's the contrast between a diligent hand. It's that hand that's willing to do everything that needs to be done the way that it needs to be done in a manner that's consistent, in a manner that's willing to work, but it's not slack. It's not lazy. That's the contrast between diligence and this slack hand. So most people think diligence is just I work real hard and I do things real fast. No, that's not all of it. That's the willingness to do things the right way, to know and to understand what it is you're doing and to function in a manner that allow it to be done, to be done properly, to be done the way that it's supposed to be done. So the people that works like that, they produce riches. And that's the promise that he making to them. In verse 5, he that gathereth in the summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that produces shame, or a son that causes shame. So we're giving the contrast between the poor and the wise, I mean the poor, I mean one that causes shame and a wise son. So the one that gathereth in the summer, this is a picture of harvest. So the one that's willing to get up and do his work when it's supposed to be done, that's the wise son. But the one that sleepeth in the harvest, so the one that takes a little nap, that's not willing to do what's supposed to be done when it's supposed to be done, so that's the one that produces shame. And here we have a tie-in to our opening. So we see a contrast in the opening between a wise son and a foolish son. And our complete tie-in here at the end is that the wise son is the one that works when the work is supposed to be done. The foolish son is the one that causes grief or heaviness or shame. It's the one that sleeps, the one that's lazy, the one that's not willing to do what's supposed to be done when it needs to be done. And and, and this is a wrapping that show you that these proverbs are a cluster that goes together. You see what I'm saying? So the foolish son causes shame what tells us that the foolish son is the lazy son and the lazy son is connected to the one that deals with a slack hand 
which is connected to the wicked son. Are, are, are you seeing how we're building here? And this is something as you read through these clusters, you, you, you expound on it and you flip them through. Going into the next section, verse six said, blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covered the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. So verse six, blessings are upon the head of the just. So upon the crown of the just, uh, the just person has blessings poured upon them. And that just is righteous. So the righteous person have blessings poured upon them. And in contrast with that, it says, but violence covered the mouth of the wicked. That violence is oppression, heaviness, wickedness, and it overcomes the mouth of the wicked. So blessings poured out upon the head of the just, but violence covered the mouth of the wicked. Now that violence covered the mouth of the wicked is a tricky one because it can be taken a couple of different ways. Some people think it means that the mouth of the wicked is overwhelmed by violence. So that means when they speak, it's only evil and violence and heaviness. And some people think that the speech of the wicked is going to be overcome with violence. In a sense, that's what they get in exchange for the mouth or the life that they live. And I take the latter because of the contrast. Because the blessings is poured out on the head of the just. But the mouth of the wicked, the talking of the wicked, when the wicked people are saying and doing their wickedness, violence or that destruction is the thing that's going to overtake them. So the righteous people are overtaken by blessings, but the wicked people are overtaken by violence. And the mouth is this thing that causes this overtaking to come. Uh, you see what I'm saying? So there's some wicked talk that can bring about violent results. And in the contrast, there's some righteous people who have blessings poured upon their head. God pour our blessings upon just, but violence is returned to the mouth of the talking of the wicked. And it's going to pick on this theme of talking in the memory of the wicked. In verse 7, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. So when people thinking about the just, that just is righteous people. So when we think back and reflect on the righteous, said their memory is blessed. So just that bring in mind the, the just people or the righteous people in your life, it produces blessing. There's blessing is connected to their name and their memory. It says, but the name or the character or the reputation of the wicked shall rot, shall decay. It's going to be bad. I think about this old preacher tell a story. Every time I read this proverb, it makes me think about it. He said, um, a, a local gangster came to him to do the funeral of his brother. And it's like, he gonna pay him off. The brother didn't go to church. They didn't leave. He was murderers, drug dealers, and all that type stuff. It came, he said, man came to him to pay him. It's like, I'm gonna pay you this amount of money. I'm gonna donate this to the church. I just want you to do the funeral of my brother. But one stipulation I got, you have to call him a saint. Him a saint, the brother, the dead brother. Like, you gotta call him a saint. So the preacher said, man, there's a whole lot of money. We can use this money in the church. He thought about it. He's like, okay, I'll do it. He did it. It's like time for the eulogy. He started preaching. And it's like, this man was no good. He was a scoundrel. He robbed people. He was a murderer. And he just talked about all the things he said evil about this dude. It's like, but compared to his brother, he's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> well, that story is true I don't know I heard old preacher tell it <laughs> and he fulfilled his thing and every time I read this proverb I think about it because it's the idea that the name or the character or the memory of the wicked is shirat it decays and it's in contrast to the memory of the just we remember the righteousness of those who are do righteous, but the folk who do a lowdown, who live a treacherous life, eventually their memory decay. And then that's why we have to make up modern American proverbs that you don't speak ill of the dead. Just to protect, <laughs> just to protect people. Cause you know, some folks you just ain't got nothing good to say about. It. And that's the idea that he's building on here. In verse 8, the wise in heart shall receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. So those who are wise, they shall receive 
commandments. So when you give them principles, when you guide them, when you instruct them, they take it in. They listen. They learn from it. But a prating fool, another word, if you got new translation, it might say a, a babbling fool. They shall fall. Now that they shall, a prating fool shall fall, or a babbling fool shall fall. I like the translation of a babbling fool shall cast away or cast down because it's contrasted with the right, the wise receiving instructions. So a wise person, they're going to receive instructions. But a babbling fool, people who just run off at the mouth, the things you instruct them in, they cast them away. That's the contrast. So you got a wise person that's willing to listen and to take in what you say. But you got there's some people that who they, the whole while you talking, they just run off at the mouth. Like this babbling fool, the, the foolish who just, just, just let their lips run, they cast your instructions away. And all of us have met some people like that. The whole while you try and explain to them something to them, they got to tell you what they know. Like, yeah, you need to, yeah, I understand because, yeah, they told me this yesterday. They, 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 when you're talking to somebody like that, think about this proverb. The babbling fool shall cast away. So why are you explaining to them? And they hold, they hold time. They running and they yapping and they telling you what they already know and they tell you how they understand and how they were just saying the same thing yesterday to their sister friend. Understand they're casting away everything you're saying. You're wasting, you're wasting your time. They're not listening to you. So the babbling fool casts away. They fall. It means that they, they cast off your instruction. You understand what I'm saying? So this is the contrast. Wise people hear your instructions. You can guide them. For who are always running off at the mouth? They ain't listening. None of you say. They, they throwing out everything they go because they already know it. Like I said, I got a guy I work with. There's nothing that we can come into in life that he have not done or personally seen somebody do. I'm, I'm yet to find it. I'm, <laughs> everything come on TV. R. Kelly get arrested. Yeah, man, man, my wife was just up there last weekend. When I, you remember I took off at work? We was out there. We saw R. Kelly got arrested. He was out there walking the dog. <laughs> the police came. <laughs> it is no matter what happens. I know somebody who did it. <laughs> well, I did it myself. You can't instruct nobody like that. Cause they already know. Like, man, yeah, man, we should. Yeah, yeah, I was just telling them, man, we, you don't supposed to be doing that. But dude, you cheating on your wife. <laughs> but I was just trying to tell them, man. The babbling fool, they cast off. So y'all watch out for them. Say, he that walketh uprightly walketh surely. But he that perverted his way shall be known. So the person that walked upright or in righteousness or in a right manner, they walk in safety. So there's safety in the righteous walk. There's security in it. They're surrounded. They're hedged in. That's what he means by walking surely. But he that perverted his way shall be known. And this gives the idea of their security, their safety. You're protected. But the one who's perverted in his way, like what we say, all evil going to eventually do what? Come to the light. Like they're going to be revealed. The one who got a, a, a perverted means about them, they're going about their way and they got perverse intentions, eventually it's going to be revealed. It's going to be shown. They're going to be made out for who they are. While the righteous people, there's security in them. There's some safety in them. There's some protection where God got you hedged in. But the ones who walk perversely, they're going to be revealed. Their perversion is going to be known. Say, he that winked the eye causes sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. Now this is that prating fool again. Say, he that winked the eye causes sorrow. We talk about that winking of the eye. Anybody remember what it means to wink the eye? Anybody? Yeah, you're being deceptive. So he that winked the eye causes sorrow. So when you're talking to somebody that's the idea of people who talk or converse with you with deception in their heart. What they're saying is not what they mean. So they create sorrow. So the end result of having these conversations with these people are disappointment. It's hurt. It's pain. This is what they produce. But then it gives a contrast. It said, but the prating fool shall fall. It's like you contrasting a fool with a fool. And it seem, don't seem to line up. Because so far we've been contrasting wise or righteous with wicked or foolish. Diligent with lazy. But now he's giving you one form of a deceptive person with another form. And the idea is there's some who mean you no good and they're going to hurt you. But there's some who are completely foolish 
in everything that they do. And they will destroy you or cast you down. He that winketh the eye calls it sorrow. But a babbling fool shall fall or shall cast down or shall cast out. So there's some who all they do is run their mouth. And if you listen to these people, they have the ability to put you in a position where you can really be cast down or really be hurt. In contrast to those who are deceptive and they can produce grief or sorrow. Go ahead. You, you, that, that, that is the deceptive person. So it's the idea of somebody making you a promise. I'm going to do this for you. I got that. But the whole while they're talking to you, they have no intentions of doing what they're saying to you. Uh-huh. Oh, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, he, 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 when you in agreement with the fool, are you in agreement with the deceiver? Yo, we're going to talk, but that, that, that ain't good either. <laughs> verse 10, he that winked, I mean, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life, but the violence covered the mouth of the wicked. And it's the closure of this point. It said the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life. So when you come into contact with the righteous, said their mouth, is a wellspring of life. So life flows forth from the mouth of them. They have the ability to pour out life, to produce life in you. But violence covered the mouth of the wicked. Violence overcomes the mouth of the wicked. And it gives us a second understanding of this proverb. So he, he, he says the same thing in two different ways. One at the beginning is the wicked are overcome with violence because of their mouth. In this one, violence overcomes the mouth of the wicked. So the things that, that, that overwhelming majority of the mouth of the wicked is violence. This is what they pour out. This is what they produce in contrast to the righteous person who produce life in you. So it gives it a picture in this whole section is watch who you listen to. Because some conversation can frustrate you. And some conversations can cast you down or put you in a position of hurt and harm. Some conversations can produce life in you. And some conversations can put you in a place where it caused destruction and heaviness and grief and evil into your life. Watch who you listen to. And it says this in all these different ways. Because if you are righteous and you walk according to these righteous conversations, you're safe. But if your way is perverted, if you're influenced by these wicked conversations, it's going to be revealed and it's going to be known. And eventually is what's going to happen. Your name is going to rot. Are you tracking with me? Let's move on to the next one. It said, hatred stirreth of strife, but love covereth all sins. Yeah, that's the heavy one. Y'all, y'all know that one right there, at least the second part of it. Hatred stirreth of strife, but love covereth all sins. I got so many new words and love covers a multitude of sins. The first part is easy to understand. If you respond to somebody with hatred, or if you throw hatred in the midst of it, that's going to stir up strife. So it's just going to build up the disagreement. But in contrast to stirring up the, the strife, it's a response of love. And it says love covers a multitude of sins. And the idea of that it's not that the love don't pay no attention to sin and you can just do whatever you want because love don't pay no attention to that stuff. But the idea is that love is willing to overlook all the wrong that has been done. It's willing to deal with you on a level that does not recall the evil. And it gives a picture of still talking on Connected to conversation, because we're going to see that as we go through this section. But it's uh, just think about arguments that you may have had. If you've ever been in an argument where you make somebody mad, and the first thing they do is respond to what you did wrong, or bring up something old you did. That's the idea that, he, that, he, the idea that he's given here. The hatred stirs up strife. So when I make you mad, you make me mad, I want to make you mad, so I'm going to bring up something wrong. I'm going to respond to you in hate. I'm going to try to figure out a way to, to get back at you. That stirs up strife and that keeps the argument going. But the contrast to that is love covers a multitude of sin. I'm willing to take your hate and willing to not pull out all your wrongs just to bring peace to this situation so we can continue the, 
the relationship. And it's this idea of me restraining myself and restraining my words and showing mercy to you and not just responding to you out of hatred and out of spite to keep the argument going. I got to get the last word. What about that time you see it? <laughs> and you go back to stuff that just two months ago, I'll tell you, I forgave you and, and it's okay and we all together. And you say, you remember that time you changed your password on your phone? And you... <laughs> That's the idea that he's getting to here. And it's a response in a relationship to where you're willing to take a loss for peace in the relationship. And he goes on, he said, in the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. So the, the talk of one that got understanding, there's wisdom there. So he speaks with wisdom. And when you delve deep into his words, there's wisdom to be found. There's guidance. There's instruction. There's reproof and all the things that can make your life better when you listen to the one that, that has understanding. But the rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Now that get a little bit deep. The one that don't have understanding, the only thing that he has for them is not to listen to them, but they need to be beat. The rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. You give credence to the one that has wisdom. You discipline the one that is void of understanding. And that's a bit, a, a, a little heavy for one for us to like, I'm talking about we need it. The one that is void of understanding, you discipline him. And that's the response you have for them. But the one that has understanding, you listen to him because wisdom is found. And this is one that we can pull out to our evangelical leaders. Who, 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 we ain't gonna even go there. We're gonna stop right there. <laughs> Just meditate on that one right there for a second there. <laughs> Verse 14. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. So there's a treasure of, of knowledge in the lips of the wise. They store it up. They have it on reserve. And it's whole, this whole idea of guidance and instruction in, in this conversation of strife. The wise men, they lay up knowledge so we're willing to listen and we know how to properly respond. But fools, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The mouth of the foolish is ready to be cast down, is ready to be destroyed. It's almost at its last leg and is ready to be done away with. That's the mouth of the fool. Said so the rich man's wealth is his strong city, but the destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now we get a little funny here. The rich man's wealth is a strong city. So we're talking about rich man. Saying the, the people who have money, their wealth is their strong city. And this is an observational proverb. which means he's observing something and it's something to be gleaned from it. So people who got money, they depend upon their money. That's the thing that fortifies them. It's their wealth. So they take solace in their wealth. That would mean why the rich man's wealth is his strong city. That's what he get confidence from. That's what he finds security in. That's the thing that makes him boastful in life, makes him somebody. He got confidence in his wealth. Said, so, but the destruction of the poor is their poverty. So the thing that really makes the poor poor is their ruin. They're cast down in, 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 in all of the, the hardships that come upon them. So the thing that makes the poor poor is not their lack of, but it's the ruin and it's the hardship that comes upon them because of their condition. If you get what you understand what I'm saying. So the rich man has something he run to for safety and security. But in contrast to that, there's ruin and there's destruction and there's heaviness that comes to the poor because of their condition. And he's saying that is their poverty. So it's not the fact that they don't have money. It's not the fact that they don't have a place to stay. It's all of the extra that comes to them because of that. That is their real poverty. That's the thing that really makes life hard for them. It's the ruin, the destruction, the way that they're treated, the, the cast down and, and the pain that comes from their predicament. And in contrast to that, the wicked takes solace in his wealth. And this is something we're going to build on as later ago, but that's a proverb to be pondered. It's in verse, where I'm at? 15. Six, yeah, 16. The labor of the righteous tended to life, but the fruit of the wicked to sin. So the work of the righteous produces life. So once you're laboring in righteousness, life is the outcome of it. 
But the fruit of wickedness, once the thing that wickedness produced, that is sin. So the outcome of wickedness is sin. The, the labor of the righteous, the outcome of a righteous life is life. So there's life from the righteous. There's sin from the wicked. And this is all tied into this whole little pursuit that begins with a messed up conversation. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction. But he that refuse it, reproof erit. So you're staying in the way of life. You're walking down the path that leads to life, which means if we connect it with the last one that talks about the way, is you're being righteous if you heed instruction. So those people who can listen and learn can be guided. They're walking righteously. But if you reject reproof, then you err. You're going astray. You're getting off the path. So if can't nobody tell you nothing, you're sinning. You're erring. You're getting off the path of life. But if you can be guided, if you can be instructed, you're walking righteously. And it shows you that the level of right, there's humility and righteousness. That we can be taught. We can be guided. We can be corrected. If you ever get to that point, or if any of us ever get to that point where we can't, can't nobody tell us nothing, now you found a man who has departed from the way of life. Verse 18, he that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. He that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. To hide hatred with lying lips, that's an easy one to understand. It's the person that really hates you, but they lie to you to cover it up. Y'all women have that more than us men. People that hide hatred with lying lips. Now y'all do it about stuff that ain't got nothing to do about now. You go out your way to compliment somebody's dress, even though you don't like it. Just as soon as they walk away, I don't know why she put that thing on. <laughs> you didn't have to say anything. <laughs> That's somebody that hide hatred with lying lips. <laughs> <laughs> I say y'all got bigger problems with that than we do. And it connects it and it's adjoining it. He that uttereth a slander is a fool. Because generally one produces the other. The other one is that utters a slander is one who talks bad about a person, who, who use their lips to knock up another person down. So that is a fool. So you got these together. So the one who hides his hatred with lying lips, and the one who utters a slander, they connect it. Both of them are defined under the, the heading of fool. That's deep. So repent of your foolishness if you ever complimented somebody about something that you do not like. <laughs> Verse 19 said, in the multitude of words, now this is, this is one that we need to, to keep in our pocket. In the multitude of words, there wanted not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. So the multitude of words, by the multiplication of words, a whole lot of talking, that wanted not sin. That want means there is no lack of sin. So in a whole lot of talking, sin is somewhere in the midst of that. Anybody time you got somebody that always talking that talk a whole lot, sin is somewhere in the middle of all that talking. Said, so, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The person who has the ability to pull back his speech. To not say something, to control his lips, that's the wise person. And it also gives us a fact that a wise person has the ability to navigate life in conversation without sinning. Because the wise person is the opposite of the person who multiplies life, who multiplies words, but the person who multiplies words, sin is somewhere in there. And it's basically the ability to be willing to shut up and not have nothing to say. And that's, that's the basis of what he's saying. If you want to be wise, be willing to say nothing. To be in a room and let everybody else talk and you not have anything to say. You refrain your lips. To let somebody correct you and put you on the path and all you do is take it. Whether or not you agree with it or not. You can hear it and say either it's true or it's false. If it's true, I need to change. If it's false, I don't need to listen to it. But not have a response. If you can do that, you are a wise person. Huh? You, if you use lying lips to deceive them. Now, it, 
I see what you're saying. Yeah, but you're not trying to see him. Like you come to me and you say, well, you should have did this, that, but you were wrong when you did that. I hear you. I take it in and I think about it. But I don't have to respond and justify myself. You get what I'm saying? So you tell me you were wrong. I hear you. And I really hear you genuinely listening to what you're saying. And if I think about it and I realize, okay, she misunderstood what I said or what I did. I have the ability to let that be and to let you vent without having to say, well, you you don't understand what I'm saying because I, uh-uh, I can just hear. And if you're speaking the truth, I adjust myself and I correct myself. If you lie, I just understand that. She misunderstood. And not always have to be having to come back if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, that's not being deceptive. But if I just respond and because I'm not trying to say nothing, I say, yeah, you're right, you're right, I agree. And now I'm being deceptive in my line. If I don't agree, no, I can just not say anything. I can just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to think about that. And genuinely think about it. That's, it, it, it makes sense to you. Verse 20 said, the tongue of the just is as a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. Now that's deep. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. So the, the, the mouth of the righteous man is like the, the most precious silver. It has great value. So the just man, righteous man, mouth has great value. But the heart of the wicked man, it has little worth. There's no real value in the heart of a wicked man. Think about that. The lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for want of wisdom. The lips of the righteous feed many. So the people who have righteousness, they can feed or nourish a whole lot of people by their mouth. But the fools... They're going to die because they lack wisdom. The righteous can feed many. The fools going to die themselves because they lack wisdom. That's that's deep. So we are not only have life enough if you're righteous for yourself, but you got life enough for those around you. You can feed many. But if you're a fool, you ain't got enough life for yourself. You're going to die because you lack wisdom. The blessings... Of the Lord, it make it rich, and He added no sorrow therewith. So God can pour out blessings and produce bounty in you, or produce greatness in you, without multiplying grief or multiplying sorrow in doing it. So He pours out, but grief, sorrow, heaviness is not multiplied by the blessings of the Lord. Another way can, can, we can read it is the Lord, he blesses and does not multiply sorrow. So God blesses, but he does not increase sorrow. That, that, that makes any sense to you. He can pour out goodness upon you. He can pour out the things that you need and he can do it without producing more sorrow, more heaviness, more grief, more pain in your life. Verse 23 said, it is a sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding have wisdom. Now, this is one you really have to meditate on. Said, it is a sport to a fool to do wisdom. A sport means it's something that brings fun. It's something, it's recreation. It's, this is something that delights him. You know what I'm saying? I'm just playing. It's like he playing when he does mischief. So a fool does mischief for fun. In contrast is that if a man of understanding has wisdom. So the man of understanding navigates life through wisdom. And that's contrasted between a fool doing mischief for fun. Now, I'm going to let y'all just want to think about it. Man. I want somebody to come back to me and answer. Is he saying that the man of understanding does not live his life or fill his life up based on what is fun? Is he saying that the man of understanding does not navigate his life or, or do things in his life based on simply what is fun. Because the sport for a fool, that means this is the thing that he enjoys. This is playing to him. This is light. This is recreation for him to do mischief. But in contrast to that, a man of understanding hath wisdom. So he navigates through wisdom. So is he saying that the man of understanding, the one who lives through wisdom, don't do what he do because... Simply because it is fun. Now you say that's true. You ain't got to think about it. 
<laughs> That's a, this one we need to teach our young people. Say, so the fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. So the thing that the wicked dreads, whatever that is, the dread of the wicked, the thing that he most not, do not let this happen to me. And most of them, that's death. Said so the fear of the wicked, it shall come. So whatever it is they fear, that's what's going to come. In contrast, the desire of the righteous. So in contrast, in between fear, there's desire, there's longing, there's the passion of the righteous. It shall be granted. So whatever the righteous man longs for, he going to receive. Whatever the wicked man feared, that's what's going to happen to him. And that's deep. That, that, that's a heavy one. And if you just think about that one for a little minute, because we get promises in the New Testament where Paul tells us to covet earnestly the best gifts. So there's gifts and things in the spirit that we want to do. And Paul told us to long for those things, desire those things. And if we desire for those things in righteousness, if this proverb be true, we have a guarantee that we're going to get them. So if Miss Mary want to be a prophet and to be able to interpret dreams, she can desire that. And we have a promise here, if this is true, that she can get it. Because the desires of the righteous shall be fulfilled. As a whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. So just like the wind blows through. Here for a second and gone the next. So is the wicked. So they're here for a minute. And eventually they're going to be gone. But the righteous, in contrast to that, the righteous is an everlasting foundation. They're a foundation. They're established. And they're going to stay there forever. The righteous. As we, there we go. And here we see uh, I, an example of people misunderstand this book. They understood eternal life and life beyond the grave in the Old Testament. Because he's talking about it. Because we know if you look around, when Solomon looked around, there was wicked people. So he can't think that all the wicked people are going to vanish. What he means that there's an enduring to the righteous that is not to the wicked. There's coming a time where there will be no more wicked. But righteous will always be established. They shall never be moved. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to them that send him. Uh oh. So like getting vinegar, have vinegar consistently poured on your teeth. It, it, it eventually produces that, that, that numbness and that tinginess. It wear your enamel down. And having smoke in your eyes. Everybody know that hurts. It burns. That's how it is if you send a slugger, a lazy person. So the lay, if you send a lazy person to do something for you, you might as well just put smoke in your eyes. What are you saying? <laughs> You're going to have pain if you send a lazy person to do something for you. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days. But the years of the wicked shall be shortened. So if you fear God, you're stretching out your days. The wicked, you're shortening your days. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. So the things that the hope, the, the hopes that the righteous have is going to be gladness. It's going to be a blessing, a rejoicing. That means it's going to come into full. It's going to produce bounty in them. But the expectation of the desires, the plans of the wicked, they're going to be frustrated. They're not going to come to fruition. They go, it's going to perish. It's going to die. Their expectations, their hope is going to die. Hitler planned to take over the world. He get real close, and the next thing you know, he's shooting himself. Expectations? Perish. <laughs> it says, the way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but the destruction of the workers... But destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. So the way of the Lord is strength to the upright. So the way of God, the way Yahweh wants you to walk, that's strength to those who walk righteously. So the righteous people have strength. You can go on, you can press on, you can be, and there's might in you in this way. So if you need strength, if you need might, just get on the way. You have might, you have strength. You are strong because you're on this way. But to the workers of the iniquity, ruin going to come. Destruction is going to come. They're not going to be able to survive. And it's the same picture that Jesus gives. 
If you build your house on a rock, when the storm comes, it ain't going to be knocked down. But if you build on the sand, it's going to be cast down. There's no strength. There's no structure. So ruin is what comes. And that's the picture that the writer of the Proverbs get here. If you're walking in the way of the Lord, if you're building your life on his words, if you're being righteous according to his righteousness, you have strength. You're going to stand. You're going to withstand. But if the wicked, those who are not on his way, ruin is going to happen into them. Same thing. And it's the same picture here. Verse 30, the righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. Building the same picture, the righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The righteous going to stay here forever, but the wicked, there's an inheritance here in the earth that they're not going to get. And this is one I have to remind Christians of quite often. Our eternal home is not heaven. Our eternity, we're not going floating on clouds forever. Earth is our home. God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and this is going to be our habitation. We will be on earth forever. Yes, that's, I figure a lot of people don't understand that. So I believe we're going to live on earth forever. We're not going to live in heaven forever. One day heaven is going to come down to earth. And it's going to be this one big conglomerate of heaven and earth. And we can go back and forth between both of them. But God promises of us an inheritance of a new earth. It is messed up. (laughs) And he's going to destroy it and make a brand new one. (laughs) And that's our eternal hope. He's going to wrap this whole thing up, set it on fire, make it brand new. Set this whole thing ablaze like the man with the good grass when every couple years or so he burn it and let it regrow again. God going to burn this whole thing out and and make it brand new. And this is our home, a new home here. And in this new home and in this new earth, there will be no wicked. But the righteous shall inhabit the earth. And this is something we need to keep in mind. And this is something that help you when them JW come knocking on your door. This is a point they like to throw out as Christians. Like I said, the meek shall inherit the earth. But your preacher told you, you're going to go to heaven. And people hear that and be like, well, confused. So my preacher lied. Y'all preacher ain't lying. <laughs> heaven is a temporary home. Earth is going to be our eternal home once God make it brand new. And that's what he's pointing to here. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. There's going to come a point of time where this earth is going to be and it's only going to be righteous. Wicked, they're not going to get it. They're going to be removed from this place. Verse 31. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. That's deep. The mouth of the just, that's the righteous, bringeth forth wisdom. It produces wisdom. Wisdom is what flows out of it. But the mouth of the wicked, but the froward tongue, the perverse tongue, it's going to be cut out. We're going to let that just sit there for a second. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speak forwardness. The lips of the righteous, so the righteous lips, the righteous people, their lips know what is acceptable. And that is acceptable meaning the right thing at the right time. They know what to say. That's the righteous people. They know what to say. They know when to say what and how to say it. That's a, a description of the of the righteous. There's no inappropriate things that come out the mouth of the righteous. There's no off-putting things that come off the righteous. There's no thing that like, man, you just shouldn't have said that. Then the righteous know what to say. They know how to say what at the right time in a manner that is acceptable in a well-putting way. If you understand what I'm saying. Said, but the mouth of the wicked, it speaketh perversion, frowardness, wickedness, twisted things is the only thing that comes out the mouth of the wicked. And this is one where we have to be careful as, as righteous people, because the one place I've seen it most often that the righteous pervert their way and speak the unacceptable things is in time of death and hardship. That we willing to say whatever we want to say just to comfort people. And so sometimes we speak perversion for the purpose of comfort. And that's not right. 
Because if you draw somebody in based off this perversion and they learn better, now you're a liar and it mess their whole world up. All this little stuff. Granted, she, she's an angel with God now. We all know that ain't true. That makes people feel better. But the righteous, we won't go down around just saying that stuff. And there's a way in which we have to be able to navigate those situations in a manner where we can say the appropriate the appropriate thing at the right time and without perverting our way, if you understand what I'm saying. And sometimes the best thing to say is to say nothing at all. Because no matter what you say and no matter what you went through, you, you don't know how I feel. If you understand what I'm saying, it's, it's just one of those things. I remember this distinctly and most vividly were two two occasions when my father passed. And folks I ain't know they come around talking all this foolishness. I know now you do not know how I feel. And ain't nothing you can say to convince me that you know how I feel. And when my sister lost her son, my nephew, when he got shot. And people come, the well-meaning, like, well, you, you got to know you got two other children to worry about. That's not the right thing to say in a hurt, in a brokenness that our firstborn son who's supposed to bury her and got gunned down in the streets. And the best thing you can come, well, you got two other children to worry about and basically telling me to get over it. She's never going to get over it. And if she showed her pain and her response was, I had three. And it's this, these are some of those times where we have to learn how to navigate and have the wisdom of God to direct us in times of pain because those are the times where the church folk make the biggest and dumbest mistake. When we're dealing with people in their sensitivities, when we're dealing with people in their hurt, and whether it's just emotional hurt and relationship hurt and all those things, and we, we bend and we compromise our convictions just for the sake of making people feel better. Sometimes we just lie and say dumb junk that we don't even believe just for the make of sake of making people feel better and there's a level of navigation that we can ascend to where we know how to say the right things at the right times in a manner that can we can speak truth speak hope because the mouth of the righteous is what a wellspring of life while maintaining the integrity if y'all understanding what i'm saying and that's just something that god's gonna have to grow us up in in us all that we know how to speak the right thing and we can use our mouth rightly not be perverted not be wicked not bring hurt not bring harm but produce life and pour out life into people because the mouth of the righteous is supposed to be able to feed many. Anybody got any questions?